Welcome to another pint with Shawnee B. Today I have a great guest, a guy called Tyg O'Donoghue. He spent much of his life as a partner at the very top of PwC in Ireland. He was responsible for inward investment. He's from a very remote island in the, in Ireland, off the coast, west southwest coast. He'll talk to us a little bit about what it was like growing up there without electricity and how he used to have to get to school by boat. Very smart fella and a guy who's got great advice and wisdom and points of view. He's not afraid to be outspoken like most people from the kingdom of Kerry. Kerry is a place where half my family comes from and is a unique and powerful part of Ireland. We talk a lot about Gaelic football on the podcast as well. So those of you who don't know what that is, have a bit of a treat in store there. Again, thank you all for all your likes and tweets and uh, support and messages. We're on a bit of a roll now and audiences are building, so thank you very much for that. Please keep sharing and, uh, if possible, commenting on iTunes about what you think of the podcast, even if you think it's shit. Okay, without further ado, I give you the great Tygo Donahue, Kerry Man. Good morning. Good morning, Sean. Is this your first time on a podcast? Probably is, actually. <laughs> I've done interviews and stuff, but uh, I've done live radio. Okay. But uh, I, I'm not sure about a podcast. Right. It's the new Fandango so, yeah, thing on the and, internet. Uh, it means I don't have to go on RTU. You know the story about being outspoken. You know the Kerry man who thought he had the inferiority complex. He thought he was the same as everybody else. <laughs> We have, a, we have a lot of listeners from overseas, so we need to explain to them a little bit about Kerry. And I also am interested in talking to you about what life was like in Ireland when you were growing up back in the day. Well, you see, I grew up on an island, Valencia Island, off the coast of Kerry. We participated in every sport, provided it was Gaelic football. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we need to stop there. Gaelic football, for those of you who don't know, is the national sport of Ireland. There's two, Gaelic football and hurling. They're a little bit like a cross between soccer and rugby and uh, Australian foot rules football. And Kerry uh, are the masters of Gaelic football. The sport is broken out by county. Uh, there's 20, 32 counties, and Kerry usually wins. Yes, Kerry have contested 50% of the last finals in the last century. I never knew that. 50% of the finals. The, the trick question is, which county has lost the most finals? Kerry, because they've they, been in the most. <laughs> they've won the most and lost the most. And lost the most, <laughs> yeah. So we've, we've, we've won 37, and I think we've lost 18. My God. It's, so, a, it's, a, it's an amateur sport. It's the, the fulcrum of society and village life probably the most watched sport in Ireland and um, I used to play it when I was a kid as well yeah what part of Kerry are you from? French Island an island off the coast of Kerry yeah we say Ireland is, a, is an island off the coast of Valencia but uh, I grew up on the island when it was a real island no bridge you had to you had to get the boat to go to the mainland we grew up on a dairy farm we didn't have electricity in those days even we didn't even have a, have a landline. You had to go down to the post office to make a phone call. It was really rural, rural. Was it Gaelic speaking? Partly Gaelic speaking, partly English speaking. Right, right. The living there was either farming, and we were dairy farmers or fishing. They were the two big industries. So how many cows would your father have had? Uh, my father had, I think he had only about 20, because 
they had to be hand milked. Yeah. We didn't have electricity. Yeah. My brother now who farms because the electricity has ninety cows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And would you be the main one of the main providers of milk for the island? Oh yeah, yeah. Would and exported to the mainland uh, to the creamery, who then exported the cream to wherever to be processed in places like Cork and Dublin. So Valencia Island is, is like, I mean, it was wild there, right? Because it, oh, yeah. It gets a battering from it the Atlantic. W- yeah. When you get the battering from the Atlantic straight in, southwest wind, the real cold one would come in March, you get from the northwest. Yeah, yeah. So you went to school on the island as oh, well? school, national school on the island, uh, secondary or high school, as you would call it in America, on the mainland. I went to St. Brendan's College, Killarney, which is a boarding school. Right. And the main reason for going to boarding school was because we were an island and you couldn't be in the ferry every day. Yeah, yeah, Although yeah. lots of lads did. Did they really? Oh, yeah. yeah came in. Lots of lads cycled to the ferry, got on the ferry, cycled another three miles to the town of Carsevine, and cycled back again that evening. It'd be fit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We Carsevine's a lovely town. Carsevine is... It's a mile long. It has one main street yeah. running the whole town. Up the main street, down the same street. It's down the like. same street, yeah. <laughs> so can I, I mean, to g- try and give my listeners a, v- a view of what is special about being from Kerry, about Kerry people. Because we were in the southwest corner of Ireland, away from any motorway or anything. We were self-sufficient, so we knew we had to make our own way. Yeah. And I think that made us all the better. And w- but was it like back in the day? Was it scary coming up to Dublin? No, no, we didn't. We had no fear of Dublin. Right, right. But then we'd been in Dublin many times for matches. Yeah, of course, <laughs> beating them. The famous, <laughs> uh, the famous ghost train. Yeah, uh, yeah. left Carsevine at midnight. Wow. Got into Dublin at maybe eight or nine in the morning. These were pre-diesel trains. These were steam trains, yeah. run by turf, and if the turf was wet, uh, be all night, and it was known as the ghost train. So this would because be all the guys from Kerry, and it's the it's probably the farthest train journey in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, you know, even today it would take probably five hours, would it, by train or four? Probably. I think Killarney takes four hours. Yeah. And we are another further hour and a half beyond Killarney. Yeah. And these trains will be coming up on on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, usually. Uh, in time to, for all the fans from Kerry to get to Croke Park, which is the the national, the, the Gaelic uh, headquarters stadium in Dublin, uh, and they'd all go watch the game, which would probably kick off at about two o'clock in the afternoon, and then they'd probably go back that night, would you? Go back that night, but uh, some people made it, no matter who played in the final, they booked the final every year to come up for a long weekend. But you're half the time you'd be in it. Yeah, half the time. <laughs> so it wasn't a big guess to know, yeah. to pre-book. <laughs> How many did you go to? Oh, I've been at pretty well every final since I was about 15. Really? Oh, yeah. So does this become like a, uh, a a thing at some point? Like you go, oh, I've, I've never missed one. I can't miss them now. It is, yeah. Oh, you'd never. You'd never. The only reason you'd miss one is you are in hospital or something. <laughs> <laughs> then you would miss it. And like, do you, do you have no problem getting tickets? Uh, there's always a problem with tickets, but they come eventually. Eventually, <laughs> we managed to get tickets. So, um, so uh, you came to Dublin to study. Came to Dublin to do commerce. UCD. UCD. So what was UCD like back then? Uh, it was still a small university. Right. Education was still a way behind. Mm, yeah. In my day, I was the only person from my primary national school to go to university. What did the rest of them do? Went into the uh, They went working. Work. A lot of them gave up school at 14 or 15 and went labouring 
Uh, and was you know some of them? Oh yeah, yeah. Still know some of them. Uh, 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 they were very keen on the building trade. So anywhere there was building going on, you found those lads working. Brilliant. They were the days before the mechanized building, digging drains, yeah. digging foundations. Uh, yeah. I had a very funny story once when I was in I was in the Spaniard in Kinsale, which is in the neighbouring uh, county of Cork, which they don't get on the two of them, but anyway, they're both beautiful counties to go to. And this guy came into me and uh, he, he he walked up to me in, in the pub and he said he was he was six foot seven, and he he he'd just come in from labouring or something. Yeah. And he said to me, "Are you some class of a media?" I yeah. Said, I'm sure, I suppose I am. And then he, he, he held out his hand to shake my hand. It was like shaking hands with a shovel. And he said, I build walls. Yeah. Can't come back from that. No, no, you build walls. And yeah. he, was, he was one of those guys who did drywalls. He was one of the last remaining. Oh, stone drywalls. Stone drywalls. Oh, yeah. These are the walls that you see. In Which is coming back again, by it the way. It is, of course. It's trendy oh, now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very trendy now to build a dry stone wall. But when you see pictures, anyone from overseas, the old pictures of the west of Ireland, you see all these walls um, sectioning off fields. And what was the way they were built was that the field would be full of stones. And these guys would come in and take the stones out of the fields to make them... Uh, tillable or, or yeah. know, grazable by, by cows and then they'd take the stones and then they'd make them into these walls that would then section off the, the fences for farming and they've lasted they last forever they don't oh, forever. fall down and there's no cement they're just how to place they're each one on top dry of the other dry stone wall yeah um, so how was commerce? commerce was good in those days we decided look we would study each uh, lecturer and we would guess what came up in the <laughs> commerce exam, and we were usually ninety percent right. <laughs> and that part of commerce, guessing what's going to happen. Even if we disagreed with what he was saying, we gave him back his own version. We didn't take any chance of uh, disagreeing with a lecturer in an examination. Right. We gave him his own muck back. <laughs> did you have fun? Oh, we did. Yeah. yeah, we had fun because we had football and we had. We had a dancing was a huge thing in those days, yeah. and every faculty had its dances. Yeah, yeah. Once a week. What was Dublin like then? It was a bicycle city. There were bicycles everywhere. Right. It, you could nearly say with the pre-motor car age. Mm -hmm. I mean, you went in, no matter where you looked in the morning, you saw crowds cycling to work. Is that right? My God, how the world has changed. What was it like in terms, was it dirty or...? Very streets were not clean like they are today. Everything was thrown on the ground. Right. Cigarettes, matches, it was all there on the footpath. Right. If, you were in a, if you were in a corner outside a pub, you couldn't see the ground. It was covered with fags and really? matches and paper and ah, oh, yeah. Uh, and smog as well, there was a lot of smoke. Smog, yeah. The, there, was, there was one or two really bad ones. I remember one we came out of a cinema and could not see the other side of the street. Right, it's amazing. It's it's amazing. I suppose looking at Dublin now, uh, at how sophisticated it has become. Oh yeah. Uh, versus back then, because that wasn't that long ago. I mean, that's right. I mean, years uh, ago. I came to Dublin in nineteen fifty nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's what fifty, yeah. fifty six years ago. Yeah, yeah. The entertainment in Dublin for us was dances. Parnell Square had, I think, about eight dance halls. Right, and the cinema. And the cinema. Savoy, yeah. Sunday night, you had to book a cinema. There were queues outside the cinemas. Right. And there were ticket touts, uh, because if you didn't have a ticket and you went in, you could buy a, a pair of tickets off a tout. Right, right. 
that doesn't happen anymore. It was just a different culture. Yeah. Because the difference even bet- between Dublin and Valencia Island would have been vast even back then. Did you get homesick being up in Dublin? No, no, oh. because we were probably near enough to home, you see. Yeah. You couldn't do a weekend now because when you were working, because work was always five and a half days in those days. Right. So you didn't finish work until one o'clock on the Saturday. Uh, no so really you couldn't go as far as Valencia and back. You'd have to take a day off. You'd have to take a day off. Right. But we weren't homesick. Right. Telephones were away in the dark age. Communication was by letter. Uh, even in secondary school, I would write home every week, and my mother would write back to me every week right. in in boarding school. That was how. To, that was those were the days. That was the days, and it was a problem in farming. You're there, say, mowing hay, and something happens to the machine. You need a part, and you know where to get it in Tralee, but you've got to call Tralee, and then it's going to be maybe another day before that part arrives. Yeah. Today you pick up the mobile phone and, and uh, Amazon brings it, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, the equivalent of FedEx brings it. Uh, yeah, within with, hours. In an hour. I know. I know. And, and you, your first job out of uh, commerce was in the tax department. In the tax department, yeah. Now I hear. So this, this would have been around Lamas and all that coming in. And yeah, Lamas. Lamas was Tishuk. Uh, in those days, prior, uh, in the eve of elections, there would be major rallies mm-hmm. in Dublin. But I remember Lamas speaking in 1961, talking about joining Europe. Yeah. I mean, he was really, uh, he was really he so far ahead of his time. Was, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a time when Ireland uh, gained its independence in in uh, 90, became became the Republic of Ireland in the, in the 1922-26, and so the country was only finding its feet because the British had left, and so he had to find hospitals and you know civil service and tax and get a, get a country running oh yeah get yeah. a country running and that was a huge task and the scientific quality of farming was way behind uh, I remember around 1960 the average yield of a cow was about 500 gallons my brother wouldn't keep a cow unless it was well north of a thousand gallons <laughs> this was a time when uh, you know, the Northern Ireland was still, as it is today, part of, of Great Britain. And was there any parallels with... The, I'm, I'm a big fan of Greece, and yeah. I, I know one of the biggest problems with Greece is people don't pay their taxes properly. It's no. all under the table. And There was quite an amount of that, but tax evasion was never an industry, I think, in Ireland. Okay. I mean, I worked in the revenue for 10 years. Yeah. Of course, there was evasion. Yes. But it wasn't an industry like it might be in Greece. <laughs> Was there a sense that people understood we were building a new country and that we had to pay tax? Was, was there sort of a national pride as well? Uh, there was by those who didn't pay tax. <laughs> but those who, those who paid tax were trying to pay less tax. Yeah. <laughs> Same everywhere, isn't it? I mean, uh, everybody. How come you didn't spend all your... Because a lot of people who go into the civil service, you know, it's, a, it's the old job for life. What made you decide to leave... I got a phone call one day from a guy in what's now PwC. He was a partner there. And he said, We're, we have put a big advertisement in the paper uh, last week and you didn't reply to it. Oh, I said, I looked at what you were looking for. I said, you're looking for the impossible. Oh, no, so see, we think you'd be a, a reasonable candidate. He knew right. me. And uh, I said, OK. And he said, would you come up for an interview? I said, OK. And he says, come to the office. Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to the office. I said, sure. If I stand in your reception, 
and somebody from the revenue sees me, they'll know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. And I said, I'm doing very nicely in the revenue, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so we met at a hotel, and we did the deal there and then. Were you just around 30 then? I was 32. Right. And married? Uh, married, yeah. Right, right. And that was another challenge, because now you're going from absolute security in the civil service yeah. to the unknown. So back then it was, what was the name of it? Grant Thornton? Craig Gardner. Craig Gardner's, right. So it was an accountancy firm. It was, the lead, it was the leading accountancy firm in Dublin. Right. Uh, mainly auditing. Mainly auditing. auditing but they needed some tax. Tax consulting was in its infancy. Yes. But the accounting firms actually got into it pretty fast, with the result is that tax consulting over all those years has been the, the province of accountants rather than legal people. Yes. Whereas if you come to the States, it's the legal people, mostly, I That's think. That's right. And PwC bought them then, did they? Or? Uh, no, there was just a bar- merger. International companies started to come. I was probably partly involved. I'd come to the US twice a year to talk to the big companies and say, you know, you need to get to Europe. And if you want to get to Europe, Ireland is where you should get to. Right. The history, the early history was we were still a very agricultural country. Oh, yeah. And uh, if you look at 1960, I can tell you, in the national statistics, the export of cattle on the hoof and immigrant remittances were two huge items in yeah. the economy. Yeah. The English buyers had come over to the Dublin... The, the Dublin cattle market in Prussia Street was a huge thing. And they bring them over on the boat? Drive them down to the North Wall, actually on foot, put them on the boat. God. boat would unload at, at Hollyhead, buyers would lorry them then to wherever. Yeah. Now, of course, it, very little goes on hoof now. It's processed yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. That just tells you one of the things we have done. Yeah. But the, talk to me a bit about your proactivity, because I can understand if, a com- if, a, if an American company is thinking of going to Ireland and you're advising them. But you were, you were also proactively trying to get Oh, yeah. So what you, was the thinking behind that? These companies need to be in Europe as well yeah. as in North America. It's no good in doing the stuff in North America and transporting it across the Atlantic to Europe. Yeah. We had three things going for us. We were in the European community. Yes. We spoke the English language, and American companies actually to this day find it difficult to deal with non-English languages. I do. We early on decided tax would be a big carrot so we went for low corporate taxes which we still have to this which day which we still have to this day yeah. so those th- those were the three carrots secondly then you had to get not guess but you had to project in your mind the, the companies that would that that Ireland would be suitable for yes and quickly it didn't take long to figure out anything with bulk transport forget it yeah don't go there Communications, technology, pharma, and we went for those the big way. And Coca-Cola Concentrate. Coca-Cola Concentrate went there. That was uh, one of the biggest exports for many years out of Ireland. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was huge. And I think also my understanding of the history but, was the masses also, and maybe we're giving him too much credit, but around the time they said, we may not be able to give jobs to all our people, so let's make sure we educate them well. It was it, just as Lamasse was finishing up as Prime Minister, or Taoiseach, free education came out. This ch- utterly changed the landscape. 
And to this day, education is cheap. College fees, it depends on the faculty, but typically 1500 I mean, nobody, nobody understands that in America who, if you go to college in America, you usually come out the other end with a six-figure loan to pay off. Yeah. But in Ireland, it's free. Or, you know, well, not yeah, quite well, free. And, and we never went into the loan business. No. Our universities do not have as much residential as you would find, say, in North America. Yeah. You board out in boarding houses, and the word we used was digs. Yeah. These were ladies who kept people full board seven days a week yeah. it's very quaint it's like Airbnb today it's like Airbnb today yeah. <laughs> there's no such thing as a new idea yeah it was <laughs> and those those uh, those ladies uh, families they, they relied on having yeah. 10 to 12 young men uh, no they never mixed them sex was not allowed right <laughs> the women had their own uh, uh, some landladies went for women other yeah. landladies went for the boys and very religious, of course, back then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, very. Yeah. Oh, very. Watching this firm grow and get into new areas, I'm now going into... I mean, when I was now growing up in the 80s, there was a mental recession hit Ireland, where unemployment shot up around 20% and stuff like that. What was your recollection of that time and what caused that? What caused it is world economy. Ireland is, is, is like a straw in the wind. If the world economy is hurting... Ireland is really in pain. Right. If the world economy is flying, Ireland is even flying higher. Right. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think there's anything we can do about it. Really? Okay. No. Yeah. Except in, in the most recent recession, the big one was construction. And they're just overbuilt and overpriced. Yeah. But the ones that really didn't have a recession, pharma never has a recession. People still get sick. Yes. Technology, no recession. You, yeah. you know, I mean, if you buy the mobile phone that you that you bought five years ago, nobody will take it off you. Correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. The um, and, and the company was growing and going gangbusters. So when did you get made partner? I was. Met, and that's a big deal, right? Oh, big deal. Yeah. I was made partner in. I went in there in seventy three. I was made partner in seventy seven. That's good. Uh, well, I came in as a senior guy, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was curious. I was just getting an offer for another firm for partnership. When I was just called in and said, we're thinking of making you a partner. Maybe they saw you in reception. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We were talking last night about uh, my observation, which we, Ireland, for those listeners who may not know, had a crash like much of the world economy in 07, 08, 09, 10 mainly driven by, I would say, greed, house prices, and banks who, uh, like in America's subprime situation, overlent and uh, were given money away. Seriously overlent. Seriously yeah. overlent. So a lot of the banks in Ireland uh, are went, went bankrupt, pretty much, had, had to be rescued by the state, and a lot of older ancillary financial institutions got caught up in the mess. I was saying to you last night when we were drinking together, I don't remember much dirt surrounding... PwC, which was quite laudable because a lot of companies that were very well respected got, got caught with their pants. Yeah, on. well, we, we were a conservative company. For instance, I, as a partner, could not have a single share in a client. Right. That was a given. Secondly, if I was involved in an outside business, that was not, that was a no no. Yeah, our, our basic philosophy was look, you're either a partner here full time, twenty four seven if need be, 
But if you want to run another business, fine, but out of here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We were talking about Iceland last night. Uh, you recall I was, I was watching Michael, yeah. Moore, Michael Moore's new movie. was very good, and he went to Iceland where there were only four or five banks. One of the reasons America came down was there were too many banks. Canada only has a few banks as well, so the less banks you have, the more easy. But Canada would be more conservative. And much more conservative. But Iceland, uh, four of the banks went belly up. And Iceland only has about 300,000 people yeah. uh, living there. But the one bank that didn't go down was the one p- solely run by women. Yeah. And the female uh, executives who were interviewed said, if we don't understand it, we don't invest in it. And A very good principle. <laughs> because if you don't understand it, why are you putting your money on it? Exactly. You know, exactly. Uh, I mean, if you take all the Ponzi schemes. Yeah. People didn't understand how these guys had made off. How could he be making all these returns? And other experts couldn't even do half of it. Sure, there was red lights everywhere if they had just looked. But you see, greed is a funny thing. We're all greedy. And if you're getting a good return, why ask a question? But you should, should. because you don't understand why you were getting a return. The, The other contentious issue I wanted to get your point of view on was when Iceland went down, they kind of went tough luck to the investors who lost money with the con- with, with the bonds. Yeah. Ireland took another attack and said, no, we'll guarantee your losses. And that really was what crippled, in hindsight, what crippled the economy. Yeah. Where do you lie on that, on that line of thinking? I myself think Ireland did the right decision. But for one thing, I think they, the bondholders weren't guaranteed mm-hmm. and they should have been left go. Uh, but depositors have to be guaranteed because your typical depositor money in the bank how could it be safer so he he or she needs to be guaranteed yes uh, the uh, the vulture funds who bought bonds I wouldn't guarantee them no they should but they were guaranteed by our partly eventually yeah yeah. but uh, they should have been burned do you think we have learnt our lesson from that debacle you never, because the new lesson is different. You see, you learn the lesson as to why it happened and all this. But remember, the next crash will have no bearing on what happened before. It will be some new reason. Yeah. I mean, uh, some of the politicians say we're making sure it will never again happen. Yeah. This is a poppycock. You can't be sure it will never again happen. Mm-hmm. And the reasons why it will happen will certainly not be the reasons the last one happened. Yes, of course. Right around 2008 when when Lehman went down. Yeah. I mean, this whole... New Lehman York was a big factor in the crash because post-Lehman, no bank would lend to another bank. Yeah. The whole banking system is dependent on confidence. Yes. They lend to each other. To explain confidence, you take out a $100 note there. It's only a piece of paper. But we are confident enough to know we will get $100 value for it. Yes. But the real value is a piece of paper. Yes. And banking is like that. It's confidence. Yeah. I met a guy here, because New York was, they, could, they, th- they thought the world was ending. And I met a guy from Citibank who actually, we were just in a pub and he, he was really senior in Citibank to the point where he, was, he said to me, I'm so senior, I'm not telling you who I am. I see, yeah. But he said, because I was asking these questions, and again, I'm stupid. I don't know anything about accountancy. I don't know anything about about how money works. So I was asking just the kind of pleb on the street question to him. And he said, you know, our shares have gone down to something like, I think they went down to something 
like three three dollars maybe even less I can't yeah. remember but effectively the shares crashed yeah, yeah he said just buy them again they'll be back up around 18 20 within a year because what we'll do is we're not allowed we've got our wrists slapped in the industry about doing that thing and, and it's like a roulette we, we'll, we'll go off and play some other table game somewhere else and no one will will, will, will watch over us and then we'll, we'll as you said there'll be another thing go wrong yeah and and <laughs> I mean if you take something like subprime it should never have happened mm. and it will happen again subprime depended on guys selling uh, loans to people who they knew couldn't repay yeah and then they bundle that up in a bond with some government bonds and sell it to people around the world and get uh, standards and poor and people like that to give it a triple A rating. Oh, crazy. Yeah. I don't understand why the rating agencies haven't been sued up to their eyeballs. It seems like a racket. Up to it? their eyeballs. Yeah. Because some of these bonds got a rating that they never deserved. It feels like a kind of, oh, you pay us enough and we'll keep you at the triple A. Yeah, yeah. Was. I'm kind of down on the on the rating agencies. They completely missed the boat. So, Tyg, one other thing I wanted to ask you was the thing that's happening now with inequality and how, you know, someone who's been in close with finance and financial institutions and the rich getting richer, you know, and Donald Trump's emergence and stuff like that. Where do you see that ending up? Uh, it's very difficult to know what is true if you look at the United States. Middle-income people have had no real increase in 40 years. That can't go on. And the other point is they keep saying lower taxes will create jobs. There's actually no evidence whatsoever, no economic evidence, that lower taxes on the rich will create jobs. Hmm. And, I mean, a social agenda, though, do you think think capitalism will turn... A corner into that. It probably will turn some corner. You see, capitalism is fine, but it has to have a social hand. Mm. You see, if you take, uh, as Rumsfeld said, all Europe, yeah, we have high taxes, but we also have very good social benefits, Yeah, uh, particularly the unemployed, the sick, the schools, the colleges, they're all subsidised in the general taxation. Mm. Actually, people do buy into it. Why don't countries like, I mean, the Scandinavian countries do this quite well, but their taxes are astronomical. They're very high, yeah. But why don't other countries try that? Partly, I suspect, because people don't vote. Uh, If you take the city of Dublin, Sheriff Street used to be probably one of the poorest streets. Yeah. They didn't vote. So nobody went down there. No politician went down there to find out what, what they needed. Yeah. No, if they went out and voted, they'd all be down there trying to figure out what these people needed. But there is rumblings. I mean, there's the Occupy Wall Street. There's, there's, the, there's the internet, the ability of the internet to galvanize people. I mean, do you see a time when, you know, without using it's a strong word, but, you know, revolution happens? Uh, well, if it continued as it is in the low-tax countries for another generation. Anything can happen. Mm. Anything can happen. Because the masses will eventually Rise put down up. the foot yeah. Yeah. in various ways. Yeah. I mean, they will st- could, in the US, they could stop paying property taxes and really cripple the s- system. Yeah. You see, if you take payroll taxes, they can't do anything there. That's taken off by the employer. Mm. And there's lots of taxes in the shop taken off by the shop. Mm. But oh, there are lots of other taxes. Oh, you get your bill. 
And if you Absolutely. stop paying the bill, yeah. and you say, look, the reason I've stopped paying the bill is you're not doing ABC. Yeah. There's an obedience, isn't there, as well? There is. There is. No real law, in my opinion, can work unless at least 90% of the population at least obey it. Yeah. yeah. They may not like it, but yeah. they will obey it. Yeah. It's not within the capacity of any state to force 30% of the population to do something that they really, really don't want to do. Yeah. yeah. Okay, last question. What would you say to the young uh, Ty O'Donoghue who was leaving Kerry and coming up to Dublin all those years ago looking back? What lessons did you learn and what would you say to yourself in terms of how well, you approach things? I suppose it's still the old lesson that my mother and grandmother and father taught me, education, education, education. Mm. That's what I would say to young people. Education, education, education. That is far more valuable to them than anything you might leave in your will or whatever. Mm -hmm. That applies to life. Tiger Dunno, thank you so much for taking time out to uh, join me on A Pint with Shawnee B. It was great hearing from you. I was particularly enjoyed listening to your your thoughts and observations about growing up in the olden days. It It was fascinating to me. Best of luck, safe flight home, and I hopefully see you in Ireland sometime for a real point in the Of course, somewhere. you will. And we might even take in a Kerry football match. <laughs> Take care. Thanks.